0: Welcome to the Birthing Instincts Podcast. I'm Dr. Stuart Fishbine, community based practicing obstetrician and longtime advocate for birth choices.
1: And I'm Bliss Young, a licensed midwife. Join us in our conversational style podcast where we talk about everything birth.
0: Sometimes we laugh, sometimes we cry, but we're happy that you're here. So here we go. Hello there, beautiful.
1: Hello there. Did you get your eyes fixed yet? <laughs> just just trying to gauge if it's a joke compliment or a real call no the, the,
0: the eye fixing thing's going to be quite a while so good good at middle of the afternoon to you uh we're recording a day early or two days early because i'm headed off to ireland uh yeah it'll be overseas that'll be exciting
1: very exciting
0: so this is our sort of semi-annual not always happening halloween <laughs> Halloween podcast right scary <laughs> scary podcast
1: yeah and I was gonna put on something fallish today you know to like get into the mood but um it is like a 90 degrees here so I couldn't put on a sweater today sorry peeps
0: <laughs> yeah well I have the uh most beautiful urban marathon poster behind me with autumn leaves on it from Minneapolis so that that'll do for fall perfect um,
1: you know what i'm remembering Stu when we were in lockdown so it must have been it must have been the 2020 year 2020 when we were doing our our lives and stuff we we put on um masks for our introduction <laughs> but we we didn't do that today cuz we're not together
0: <laughs> no no and and, and it, it's not typical cuz we don't have somebody coming to tell us a a baby jail story or anything like that although there is one Story, we're gonna what we're gonna do is we're gonna go through a bunch of listener letters that fit the uh the topic, so to speak. In other words, scary, but also classically dumb Dr. Dogma. And so that, sh- that should be scary. But before we do that, I just wanted to catch up a little bit. Um yeah. <laughs> we're uh, two days out from the annular solar eclipse, and I got to see it in its entirety because It went right through Utah. Cool. I bought some glasses and I went up, drove about uh, 70 miles north and got right in the center of the path and saw the whole annular thing. It was very cool.
1: I wanted to do that, but I didn't have the glasses and I was like, oh, it's fine. And I just kept looking and I was like, that's not fine.
0: (laughs) You cannot look at the sun. Do not look at the
1: sun. I know. You know me, I'm such a rebel. I was like, maybe just, look at it for a second. Um, But no, I couldn't, I couldn't see it. So I'm a little jealous.
0: So I just wanted to, uh, wanted to review just a couple things that have happened in the past week or so. One is if people probably by now know that Instagram, in all their wisdom with their, uh, well, you know, we are at the mercy of AI bots now. And they took down a post of Nancy, midwife, Nancy from Emergence Midwifery, giving a beautiful tour of a twin placenta and listed it out as graphic violence. Yeah. I got spanked for that. And so did Nancy. So I just want people to know that if they want to see it, um, it's now up on rumble, which is a non-tyrannical site and they can go there, but you know, we're appealing it with Instagram, but the interesting thing you go online and it says you can file an appeal. You have this many days to do it. And then there's no tab to click on to do it. (laughs)
1: <laughs> so you haven't been able to figure that out yet.
0: I'm essentially a human being with reason arguing with a bot that has no reason. And I realize that this is our future. Yeah. This is worse than the DMV where you're put on hold forever, but you eventually will get a human being. This is like, there's nobody to reach out to, you know, if you're injured by uh, one of the, the latest vaccines now, and you, and you want to call and complain about it and stuff like that. It, it's almost impossible to file a complaint.
1: I know. Isn't that frustrating? You find the same thing. I'm like, ugh, they just don't want to pay people to help you anymore. Really?
0: Yeah. That's a nice way of putting it.
1: <laughs> well, you but, know me. I'm the nice one. I would one. just say
0: that they don't want to help you.
1: <laughs> right, well, period. because it costs money. Yes. <laughs> yes. So,
0: um, Second thing is the FDA uh is fighting a Freedom of Information a- uh, Act request from Children's Health Defense and from Informed Consent Action Network, which is Dell Bigtree's organization, about the uh the recommendation that just was came out about boosters. And good news is only 2% of people are apparently getting this new booster. But Everybody should just think for a second. I know it's a rhetorical question, but why would your government not want you to know about the research behind and and the process by which the FDA approved this booster? They're fighting a Freedom of Information Act. They're government employees. They're supposed to, you know, I mean, I've heard this a thousand times, they're supposed to work for us, but they don't. And they don't want you to know the process by which the FDA approves something that was tested essentially on 10 mice and never in humans. And they wanna give it to pregnant women and babies down to six months of age. And the head of the CDC, the new head, can't remember her name, Mandy something or other, um, she replaced Rachel Walensky, just just flat out lied in a public service announcement about it being better than, than not getting it and protecting your heart. Uh, they skewed their information uh every time they do this confidence has to diminish and I don't know how anybody in right mind now can accept anything that government health agencies tell you or whether or even organizations like your local hospital or the American College of this or the American Academy of that or whatever I just don't understand how they can they anyone should trust anything they say anymore
1: well, you know, I know you and I stay away from politics on the podcast, um, but Kennedy just announced running as an independent, and he's probably the only one who is running who has a history of this being part of his platform before it was even a platform. I'm talking about vaccines and um, corporate overtaking um, the interests in politics. So just wanted to mention that for those of yeah, you who that's were not worried. that's
0: not politics um that's true yes. <laughs> and i i just listened to uh robert kennedy on a on the cheryl atkinson podcast and people should go listen to he it's just a i think it's a 40 minute interview and she gets and they take a deep dive into this part of the process the whole thing about vaccines cool great, uh, great. let's link that okay all right right. Mm-hmm. I'll. and then um Again, I just want to reiterate what the American College of, of Obstetrics and Gynecology said in one of their um, ACOG committee opinion number seven fifty three about the flu, which we talked about last last podcast. Okay. I, I can't get over this sentence: pregnancy itself is a high risk condition.
1: Yeah, I mean that's the mentality. Obviously, yeah. that's the mentality.
0: Writing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that and it's not taken out of context they mean it that yeah. way so when and ever a cog says anything you have to understand they're coming from the i don't know the place of that pregnancy is a high-risk condition in and of itself that would be like saying eating is a high-risk condition or life is a high-risk condition and you could always, you can always make the argument. Yeah, it is. it is.
1: It's very dangerous to be alive because you know what?
0: You're going to end up dead.
1: Every one of us is going to end up dead. Not um, me. So I have a couple of things I want to share with you. Okay. So I went to a documentary last night, Rachel's farm. Um, she's an Australian actress Rachel something, can't remember her last name, but she gets very passionate. She owned a farm with her um, husband and she gets very passionate about climate change after the big fires there in Australia. And so she starts a regenerative farm. Now, why am I telling you this on a birthing podcast? Because it was very interesting to me as I'm listening to these people talk about bringing the earth back to a to homeostasis. And looking at the natural rhythms of how nature works. And when we bypass that, like overtilling and using pesticides and all of those things, similar to management of pregnancy and medications and our health and all of that, that things get thrown off. And it's it's very interesting as you start, you know, like I've talked about this before about the oneness of us with nature and how we're all so similar. Like when you start to look at it, like you look at the placenta and it, and it looks like a tree, right? You, I've seen these images, like you look at our lungs and it looks like other things in nature or our veins or our skin. Like we're not that far off from what we've done to the planet, quote unquote, mother earth. Right. And we're also treating our mothers the same way. So it didn't go by me just like how it's all the same issues. You know, it's the same problem of thinking that. You know, and sometimes they talked about it. They had these flies that came in that they tried all of these natural remedies and they finally had to give them some medicine in order to get it under control. And it's the same way. Like sometimes, yes, we do need to rely on science and medicine and chemicals to be able to, to help a situation. But the, the main thing that they kept talking about is how we treat the earth and the land and the, and the complexity of that. Um, and it just reminded me of what we've done to health care really it's not just about maternity care it's about health care
0: absolutely another good documentary on the same sort of issue is the biggest little farm I I love know, that. So, yeah yeah um, so good. same sort of thing trying to deal with nature and nature sometimes made it possible they had to they had to actually sometimes intervene um yeah, yeah no this goes on in in all aspects of life in general but healthcare is where we focus on and yes um we are all tied together one of the interesting posts that i saw recently was about the fact that every baby that you have some of their cells are in your body some of their dna is in your body and then in your body is uh, you know you are a compilation of all those that came before you and all those that will come after you that sort of thing so um yeah. We're, it's all connected. It's we've lost sight of it. We've, we've all lost sight of it for the minutia. Yeah. And that gets me to the pre-theme before the scary Halloween theme, which is I was talking to you this past weekend because I read a email from somebody who talked about a woman at 35 weeks and five days who was in preterm labor, who they gave a shot of steroids to. And she ended up having a anaphylactic reaction to the steroids, which is unusual, but it it's it can happen. So any shot is not without risk. But my first question is, why were they giving a shot of steroids to somebody who's 35 weeks and five days um, when it's recommended, you know, up to about 34 weeks? And then, of course, ACOG goes on to say, but it may be given between 34 weeks and one day and 36 weeks and six days if you think that person's going to deliver within seven days or not. So, um, but that's not something we ever, I, I don't know that that's evidence based whatsoever, because I've never seen a baby come out of 35 weeks and five days that had severe respiratory distress syndrome. Almost. I'm pretty
1: sure, I'm pretty sure in my recollection of when there have been these types of situations, I haven't ever heard them not give the steroid before 37 weeks.
0: Yeah. So, again, it's, I think to me, even though there might be data that says that to me, it's almost like, it's like a preordained fact. They, 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 ex- everything that has this creep and it starts out, they're going to give it for these extreme premies, And then it goes to 32 weeks and then 34 weeks and then 37 weeks. And of course the woman has a reaction. And so I asked the midwife, why did the doctors give it to her? Mm-hmm. And they said, we wanted to err on the side of caution. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and I, I had this discussion with you and I said, That's a a phrase we've heard a thousand times, Mm -hmm. but what does it really mean to err on the side of caution? Well, let's see. To err, the definition is to make an error in judgment, a misjudgment, to commit an act that is wrong. And caution means careful forethought to avoid danger or harm, close attention to vigilance to minimize risk, prudence or restraint in action or decision. So what the phrase really means isn't a good thing like it initially sounds like. You know, you say that, it sounds like you're being reassuring. I'm just going to err on the side of caution. It means I'm going to do something I know is wrong to try to avoid doing something I know is also wrong or maybe wrong. <laughs> Or could be harmful. <laughs> right. So in other words, it's it's the lesser of two evils. And yet it's portrayed, when doctors say this, whether they overtly say it think it or not, that this is, a, this is a justification. It's okay for whatever thing they want to do. But they present their choice as, well, not an error, but more like science. Right. So the evidence doesn't necessarily support it, but we think that the risk of this is too great to not take the risk of that. You know, and so either they... They probably don't, the scary part is they probably don't think about it at all, Bliss. It's just they automatically just give these things because that's what they've been always doing, and that's what ACOG recommends or somebody recommends it, and they just blindly follow along. But I want you to think again, when when you hear the term error on the side of caution from your doctor, ask your doctor why it's okay to make an error or make a mistake on the side of caution, because that's what it means. <laughs> That's what, I, that's what I do on a, on, a, on a morning when I'm not doing anything else.
1: I love it. Well, um, before we move on, I really wanted to give our followers a little tease to some cool thing that we're going to start doing. Um, we are going to do a webinar. When is it, Stu? When are we doing it?
0: It's November 9th and huh? I think 5 p.m. Pacific time. Is that right?
1: That's right. And it is for bringing the home birth hesitant on board. Um, So if you have a husband or a mom or a dad or a best friend that is really not supporting your passion and desire.
0: Or an obstetrician.
1: (laughs) Sure, yeah, bring your obstetricians on. Bring your obstetrician
0: to listen, that's fine.
1: (laughs) Um, You can bring them onto this Zoom and Stu and I will be um, giving a little bit of information in the beginning, um, probably like. 15 to 20 minutes of just, uh, you know, information about home birth. And then we'll be answering your individual questions. So it'll be 25 bucks, super cheap. And um, we would love to support more people in getting support and having their questions answered and feeling confident in having their community-based birth. Okay. Yay.
0: And and before we move on again to the letters, we always have something. I forgot to add... On my air of the side of caution issue, I wanted to give some examples, by the way. Okay. So one of them is a really good one. No food while you're in labor.
1: Yeah, it's a dumb one. <laughs> it's a real dumb one.
0: Well, I think, these, I think you'll find them all dumb. <laughs> um, screening mammograms. Okay. Screening yeah. mammograms. There's a lot <laughs> of data out there that screening mammograms do more harm than good. And one of the things I would recommend also, as long as we were talking about RFK on the Sheryl Atkinson podcast, is I also listened to her uh, interview a woman named Megan Smith, who was the director of a documentary called Boobs, The War on Women's Breasts. And yeah, you
1: were going to try and get her on, weren't we?
0: I've written to her, but I haven't heard back, but it's only been two days. And then, uh, and it was a weekend. But um, I tried to find that a documentary. I couldn't find it on Netflix, so I'm going to have to probably go to their website. But so I'm just going to put that out there screening mammograms, just think about it. they it's not a caution. How about birthing in a hospital? <laughs> how about immediate or early cord clamping?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: How about inducing people at 39 weeks? Uh huh. How about continuous fetal monitoring? Yep. And how about hepatitis B vaccine? Yep. <laughs> They're all pretty dumb. They're all pretty dumb. They're all dumb. Unless
1: you, unless you have hepatitis, unless someone, oh, yeah, yeah I no, Unless you have a reason yeah. to be
0: induced, or unless, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I granted. But yeah. that's not what I'm talking about. This is the reason that doctors will tell you that they want to do these things. Right. Is they'll use the term, I want to err on the side of caution. And again, it means I want to make a mistake on the side of caution. All right. I beat that to death. Okay. <laughs>
1: okay. Do you want me so, to ask your my questions now or later?
0: Um. Uh, do you want to do them interspersed? No, just do them now. Yeah. Okay. Great. Because I So don't there's wanna, a. Few... Don't we start, once we start scaring our our listeners. <laughs> <laughs> Bliss. What is element?
1: L M N T. It's a. Amazing sponsor. First of all, we love them so much, but it's a tasty electrolyte drink with all of the good stuff and none of the BS like us. That's right. (laughs) I taught you well.
0: (laughs) It is. It's got a lot of uh, good salts in it and uh, no sugar. I even uh, took a little notes here and they have um, a thousand milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium and 60 milligrams of magnesium, which helps maintain fluid balance, regulates your blood pressure. And supports muscle function, mood, and bone health.
1: Which is great for pregnant mamas, breastfeeding moms, and absolutely for birth workers. So make sure that you have some in your in your birth bag if you need it or if your clients do in labor.
0: For sure. Electrolyte deficiency or imbalances can cause like headache, cramps, fatigue, and weakness, especially in the birthing world. You know, a long time when we before when I used to do it, but you still do. <laughs> we have <a> long time. <laughs> sleep after being up all night and snacking on like not such good food sometimes and i carry it with me whenever i travel and i add it to my water like in the hotel room and stuff and i've spent a lot of time recently in hotel rooms it's a great sponsor and they they've been doing really well and i'm really proud to be um supporting them they have multiple flavors your fav- uh,
1: favorite is raspberry right
0: raspberry's mine and yours is mango chili yeah. but i i do have i do have some sad news oh so long, old friend, to Lemon habanero.
1: Oh, man, they discontinued it?
0: So they could concentrate on citrus salt, raspberry salt, orange salt, raw, unflavored, mango chili, chocolate salt, and watermelon salt. Maybe they're going to come out with some new stuff, too. But I trust <laughs> Element. I trust that the, uh, they've done a deep dive into the research. They put their whole soul into it. We would like you to go to Drink Element. That's drinklmnt.com backslash birthing instincts all one word and when you do that you'll get a free sample pack with your every order go do it go do it
1: so um stu recently said hey I want you to ask me questions kind of like um my co-host did in the beginning what was his name Brian 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 um so I I thought today okay I've got some questions to ask you
0: you're a lot prettier than Brian was though
1: well, thank you. <laughs> okay. So aspirin, baby aspirin, as a preventative for preeclampsia, we've talked about this before, and we've talked about there's not any real evidence to say that it's something that should be done as a standard,
0: correct? Well, there's evidence that in people who've had a previous history of preeclampsia, there might be, a, 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 or or pregnancy-induced hypertension, there might be a reason to do it but there's not a reason to do it in so many other things that it's often given for like being no, over 35
1: <laughs> no i'm talking about standard to give it to every woman as a as a preventative for preeclampsia is what i'm saying
0: no there's no okay. data to support that at all okay. that that is only if you've had it okay
1: would that would that change for someone who's a type 1 diabetic so therefore are they is the person who has type 1 diabetes more at risk for preeclampsia than someone who doesn't have type 1 diabetes. Cuz I don't see how they're connected.
0: Yeah, I don't well there it's there may be vascular issues. I, I I don't I I think if you read the the risk factors um for for preeclampsia, I think diabetes might be a risk factor, but so is about 27 other things. Mm-hmm. So um No, but I don't know that there's an indication to to do aspirin empirically on that situation.
1: Okay, but error on the side of caution.
0: (laughs) Side of caution. Because, again, medical model doesn't believe there's any risk to giving aspirin.
1: And what would you say the risks to giving baby aspirin would
0: be? I don't know. But remember our motto about every time you intervene with Mother Nature, you've got to prove that the intervention has benefit and is safe before you just say, we're going to do this. Right. Exactly. Okay,
1: great. Um, so for a woman who has had three since consecutive miscarriages and is now 13 weeks pregnant, when would be a good time to stop progesterone? And um, what was the other one she was taking?
0: Baby. Yes. Well, yeah.
1: What? When would be the when would be the best time to stop taking those things that you were utilizing to be able to support her pregnancy well, and stay? Oh, it was again, an herbal remedy.
0: That was again. I'll easy. I'll I'll go on a limb here and say that there isn't a lot of data to support giving progesterone in the first trimester anyway. True, but,
1: but after yeah, three,
0: yeah. If you're, you're out of the first trimester, well. no point. There's no point in continuing the progesterone. Okay. There was no point. In, there. There. Again, it's almost like that thing we call action bias a woman has three miscarriages she comes to her doctor her doctor wants to do something so like the soccer goalie instead of standing still and doing nothing he dives right or dives left and gives progesterone because there used to be articles that said that and maybe they're still in that mindset or they just feel like they want to do something the The patient wants them to do something, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: you know, that gets back to that example I've given before where they did a a survey of of people who had colds and they had them come in and see a physician. And one physician spent 20 minutes with them explaining why a cold does not, it's just something that will go away by itself and doesn't require any any antibiotics or anything like that. As a matter of fact, it's the wrong thing because it's a virus. And another doctor who saw you for two or three minutes and wrote a prescription for an antibiotic, and then they surveyed the people afterwards, and they asked them who's the better doctor, and it was the one that saw them for two minutes and gave them a prescription, because people go to the doctor because they want something. Yeah. Got to get out of that mindset as well.
1: They want an answer. Okay, and then what? What would you tell a woman um, who is pregnant who is having nosebleeds? Uh.
0: Well, first Just I want. I want to check her platelet count.
1: Her platelet count was normal.
0: Yeah. Then uh, use a humidifier in the bedroom at night.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't know. What else can you tell them?
1: And it can be normal. Yeah.
0: No, it's normal. I mean, I carry Kleenexes with you wherever you go. Yeah.
1: Okay. I just wanted to know. I mean, I just wanted to know what your recommendations were. You can also put... Put oil. Sometimes it's coming from a dry, not nasal passages. So you can put
0: oil. Usually uh, that's the nose. cause. Um, <laughs> but again, you want to make sure your blood pressure is okay. You want to make sure there's nothing going on in your nose. You don't have a polyp in there or something. But those things are rare. The most common reason is that it's just something that does happen in pregnancy sometimes. And we just want to make sure we rule out the major stuff, and then and then treat it, you know, therapeutically of just whatever whatever needs to be done.
1: Perfect those are my questions for dr Stu today
0: those weren't scary
1: no just just little tidbits
0: okay so we're uh, going to
1: take a break we're going to take a break and uh say hi to one of our sponsors and we'll be right break? back
0: we got to take another break yep we're gonna listen to one of our new commercials yeah oh by this time they're not that new anymore anyway <laughs> okay we'll be right back
1: So, Stu, I have a question for you.
0: I'm shocked. What is
1: it? (laughs) (laughs) What is one thing in a woman's pregnancy that she can control? Because so much is out of our control.
0: Uh, Her nutrition?
1: That's right. And we are so excited to be partnered with such an amazing company as needed. Because they have focused on pregnancy, postpartum, as being some of the most nutritionally demanding time in a woman's life. And it can be influenced by her nutrition status. So they support women during this time with all kinds of amazing products. Their line just has so many options. So make sure and check them all out. But Stu's going to tell us a little bit about um, their immune support because it's turning fall. And we need a little bit more right now during this time.
0: Yeah, Needed has an immune support, uh, which is a popular choice right now with all the back to school germs and heading into the winter when we all tend to get sick more frequently, and the people ask sometimes, "Well, if I'm pregnant, can I take this product?" And of course, yes, it was formulated uh, for pregnant mamas in mind, so it's uh, recommended and safe in pregnancy. Support is intended to complement, not replace other products that they offer as well. So it's just one of those things that you add to your, you know, your prenatal vitamins, your probiotic, your maybe your stress support, your sleep and relaxation support. But Bliss, I wanted to talk about something else today. Don't forget the men.
1: That's right. We love the
0: men. Right. So they have a sperm support, uh, men's pre and probiotic. And they say men play a critical role in conception and healthy pregnancies. I I, I imagine that's true.
1: (laughs) (laughs) They
0: do. Preconception health can significantly impact both fertility outcomes and also the health of their future children. Needed's men fertility plan is a must for couples trying to conceive to support the multiple components of fertility, including sperm health, gut health, optimal nutrient levels, and testosterone levels, which, by the way, are falling worldwide. So you can do this and it works. Why not? I trust Needed's products with my patients because they use scientifically studied ingredients and perform rigorous third-party testing. And unlike other products on the market, Needed designs their products from the ground up using the latest research and insights from men's fertility practitioners. So, you know, we are a woman's podcast mostly, but I don't want those dads to feel excluded.
1: So head over to thisisneeded.com and use code birthing instincts for 20% off your one-time order.
0: That's right. Thanks, Needed.
1: And we're back.
0: All right. So the Halloween edition will now continue. So these are, I'm, when I when I say scary, I don't mean scary, but they're they're scary in the sense that birthing instincts podcast listeners understand what I mean by that. They're scary in that see, people actually say these things. <laughs> That's what's scary. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to read a letter uh, from Chloe first. It's a short one. She says, um, "Hi, Doctor Stu and Midwife Bliss, Midwife Bliss." <laughs>
1: That's me.
0: (laughs) I still like goddess, but first.
1: (laughs) I like goddess.
0: I would like to thank you both for the phenomenal work you've done and doing with giving women back their voices in the birthing world and beyond. What's beyond?
1: Can I I say something? We didn't give anybody back their voices. Your voices were already there. However, I am so glad that we can support people in feeling confident and using it. That's
0: true. That's true. This is the Humble Birthing Instincts podcast. <laughs> yeah, we're, being, we're being a little silly today. Your podcast has been instrumental in educating so many women on the choices we have for how we bring our little ones earthside. Thank you for encouraging critical thinking and not caving to the easy path of the status quo. I've been listening to y'all for only a year and a half and I've learned so much. I really can't thank you enough. The other day, yeah. I got a text from a relative who is trying to conceive and had just had her first visit with the OBGYN. The OBGYN told her that she was having trouble conceiving due to a small hymen and needs to do dilation to expand it so that she can get pregnant easier. This didn't make sense to me, me neither, by the way. Me neither. I'm no medical professional, but by any sense of the term, but I thought that this seemed fishy as though it could just be my general mistrust of the medical system talking, I feel like she's being misled by the OBGYN. I could see how a small hymen could possibly affect and complicate a delivery, although I tend to believe the woman's body would adapt to the needs of her baby and accommodate a certain to a certain extent. But I don't understand quite, I don't quite understand how it would affect the ability to actually get pregnant if intercourse is not affected. My instinct tells me. It's not her small hymen, but something else like in a regular cycle. What are your thoughts on this? So she's having sex with her husband with ejaculation penetration. How can you tell her that it's the small hymen that's preventing her from getting pregnant?
1: Yeah, it's. I I I don't even have anything to say to that one. That one is. It's this that was a first for me. There's some that we read that I'm like, oh yeah, I know exactly where this is going. I've just this one a million times. I have to say that one. It was like, huh, that was interesting. Yeah,
0: well, there's nothing more to say to that one. I mean, th- when, when we don't have anything to say to it, it just it speaks for itself.
1: Yeah. You know, when I first read it, Stu, I thought, well, maybe, maybe there's like some kind of hymen that happens sometimes in like the cervix. You know what I mean? Like, I was thinking maybe there was like, something I didn't really know that could be abnormal in terms of like blocking the cervix somehow, but no, we're talking about she, the hymen. She, you know
0: what? She purpose. may have the, she may have the rare quintuple hymen.
1: Say what that is.
0: <laughs> There's no such thing. Oh, <laughs> you way know, you look at me like, I don't, I've never heard of that. I
1: was all, no, wow. What is
0: no, that? a hymen is, it's like, it's like saying, you, 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 you know, the, your, your leg is bothering you because your pancreas is too large
1: uh-huh i got it <laughs> all right
0: uh thank you chloe this one's from kelly and this has to do by the way with our our discussion about brigham and women's hospital being number one and this isn't just to pick on brigham and william uh and women's hospital uh i'll let kelly do that <laughs> but it's just a, it's again it's a dumb doctor dogma type story so dearest dr stew and bliss I just finished listening to this week's podcast, and wow, my heart is heavy. I'm feeling inclined to email you my story after hearing you talk about hospital ratings on today's episode. That was obviously from about a month ago. I live in Massachusetts, and I'm very familiar with how with how good of a reputation Brigham and Women's Hospital has, but to hear them make number one in, in obstetrics, oof, my blood is boiling. When I was pregnant with my first, we found out my son was in the breech position at 36 weeks. I was planning a home birth, and there was no way I was having a primary C-section for Breach. I had been listening to you and Bliss my whole pregnancy, and I knew Breach was just a variation of normal. My home birth midwives do support Breach at home, but for MULTIP, not for Primips, unfortunately. We tried okay. all the him, but a week later at 37 weeks, we decided to opt for an ECV. That's external cephalic version. Our midwives returned us, re- referred us to Brigham and Women's maternal fetal medicine office for our ECV, and I was 38 weeks by the time we got our appointment. We went in and they did the typical ultrasound before the ECV. The doctor doing the scan asked if we knew our baby had two different different-sized brain ventricles. I told her that we did. It was noted on on uh, the ultrasound and was not any concern for our midwives earlier. Anyway, she finished and no sooner did, did the head MFM come in and tell us they couldn't do the ECV because of that finding. They kept trying to tell us everything that could be wrong with his brain. Questioned why we never did genetic testing, kept trying to get me to agree on blood work to check for genetic disorders. I agreed to none of it. They recommended we do a fetal MRI. Said If if it was clear, then we could do the ECV. I didn't want the MRI, but wanted a C-section even less. We left feeling sad and like the joy of our, at the end of our pregnancy was ripped away from us. On our way home, about an hour drive, a nurse called me from their office. She was not calling, oh, she was calling to get my information since I was, quote, transferring my care to them, unquote. I said, I am absolutely not transferring my care, but explained that the MFM office was simply a consult. She fought me tooth and nail for my information. I'll never forget she told me quote, well, it's better we have your information because stress causes people to go into labor, unquote. And since this situation is stressful, it'd be better if they had my information in case I went into labor that night. Now, quite frankly, I don't think that that's true.
1: Stress doesn't cause preterm labor? Yes, it does.
0: Preterm labor, maybe, but doesn't a mammal at term under stress not go into labor?
1: Oh, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying.
0: Not preterm. <laughs> hmm yeah. So I, 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 that's confusing, but that's not even a major part of the story. Such fear-mongering and no way for medical staff to be speaking to their clients. We scheduled the MRI two days later, and thankfully, aside from his two different-sized ventricles, he looked perfect. So they, they gave him the an unnecessary exposure to whatever MRI exposes babies to. okay. The pediatric neurologist at Boston Children's Hospital we saw was amazing. He was so supportive of our home birth plans and even made sure to include in his note that our planned place of mode of delivery was of no concern. Awesome. Awesome. I was thrilled. This meant I could get the ECV and have the vaginal birth I wanted. My midwives called me that afternoon. I assumed with a planned appointment for us to go back to the ECV, but I was wrong. They were calling to let me know that they'd heard from the doctor at Brigham. The doctor informed them that she got the report from the neurologist. She told them that they would do the ECV only if I agreed to give birth at Brigham. Mm. Bait and switch. Well, yeah. And it's like, I mean, it's coercion of the worst kind, but you could also say, okay, well, well, I'll give birth at Brigham, go get the ECV and then say, I've changed my mind. I'm not gonna get <laughs> I mean how stupid. Yeah. So in in all caps and 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 broad letters, she says, What fuckery? Thought you'd like that. <laughs> <laughs> medical background, I know how out of line and how coercive this was. It was if this was their stance and their language for simple procedure, imagine how they coerce and speak to women in labor. I denied immediately. I was so discouraged. I kept thinking there is no way this is happening. No way I'm having a C-section for a breech baby. Thankfully, we ended up finding a hospital in Rhode Island that would do the ECV as an outpatient procedure in their ER. And we were booked that next day. The ECV went perfectly. And our son was born at 43 weeks and four days in the comfort of our own home.
1: Wow.
0: Well, that to say, if this is the kind of care, the number one hospital in the country uh, in obstetrics is giving send me the other way, and then she has some nice kudos for us.
1: Congratulations! That's Thank that's you. a great story.
0: Yeah. Okay. So again, it's it's like, why do doctors say this stuff?
1: Because they believe it <laughs> still, and they're trying to minimize their risks.
0: Airing on the side of caution. <laughs> <laughs> Why why do they care where she delivers? It's not about money for this MFM, I don't think. He's a salary. I mean, you know, there may be some production stuff, but God, to coerce a woman, say, I'm not going to do this procedure. You know, I mean, that's like that, that crosses major ethical boundaries. Yeah. Okay. Um, Next letter you're going to read. This is from Becca.
1: Yes. So, um, Becca says, "Hi, Bliss and Doctor Stu. I had hoped I would never have a reason to email you, other than to maybe tell you both how much I love the podcast and appreciate you both. Well, thanks for that. Um, but it was probably inevitable since I'm getting my prenatal care in the mo- in the modern medical system. Ugh. I'm curious to know your thoughts, but I kind of think I already know what you'll say. Anyway,
0: <laughs> I, I'm in San I'm Diego.
1: 28 years old, currently 26 weeks pregnant with my first baby, and getting care from midwives based out of our local university hospital system, all CNMs. We've talked about on the podcast before um, that CNMs are nurse midwives who are trained as nurses first in the medical system. So oftentimes their um, training and their mindset can be more medical than sometimes can be more medical than. midwives who are CPMs like myself. Um, But that's not always true. I'm planning to use their hospital birth center, which a birth center connected to the hospital is not the same as a freestanding birth center for those of you who are new listeners, Um, which many friends have had amazing experiences at. Everything was great until my 20-week anatomy scan. I was told my baby had a generous left renal pelvis, which... I don't even know what that means, but okay.
0: Um, it means. can I, I just say something for a second? Yeah. I love the terminology because to me that means that the her left renal pelvis has given a lot to charity. That's what it means. <laughs> no, it just means generous means it's it's a little bit wider than it's supposed to be.
1: But what's a renal pelvis?
0: Well, that's the area inside the pel inside a kidney that has the urine in it.
1: Oh, okay. It's not little, actually part of the pelvis. It's, it's part of the no, kidney.
0: It's, a, it, it's called, yeah, it's, it's a part of the kidney. It's that center part of the kidney where the, you know, where, where the uh, urine collects.
1: Okay. Um, and that I needed to come back for a 28 and possibly 34 week follow-up scan. Insert your previous quote from the June 1st episode. MFM doctors are a scam. LOL. When I pressed the fellow, who had been sent in by the attending, who actually read the images for the exact measurement, she told me it was measuring at 3.7 millimeter with the cutoff for concern being four millimeter. Very confused, <laughs> confused, I asked her why we were even having this conversation since it was below the marker for concern. She told me that the perinatologist reading my ultrasound is quote unquote, conservative. And wants to be extra safe.
0: To err on the side of caution.
1: Exactly. She seemed taken aback that anyone would have follow-up questions or be questioning the doctor's logic. Yay for our listeners, right? Yay. I replied, okay, but his measurement isn't technically normal. Oh, okay, but his measurement is technically normal. And she said yes. I asked if there was any (laughs) other structural abnormalities that would cause them to be concerned about this as a bigger issue. She said no. But then throughout, well, it is a soft marker for Down syndrome, which I hear quite frequently, Um, to which I reminded her that my NIPT was negative for that, and that we've already confirmed that there are no additional markers present. So why would she even mention that?
0: To err on the side of caution? (laughs)
1: it took everything not to roll my eyes. I have to tell you that I would have Becca because I'm not very good at not rolling my eyes. Um, She proceeded to reassure me that most of the um, less than four millimeter.
0: Greater greater than, greater than,
1: greater than. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, She proceeded to reassure me that most of the greater than four millimeter findings, something like 90% plus resolved by birth and that it would be no problem. Funny how that didn't have stats on this for renal pelvis measuring less than four millimeter, aka normal, aka my baby. (laughs) I asked her if this was, if there was an issue with the renal pelvis, and we found it was still bigger than normal at the next ultrasound. Could we do anything about it? She said, and that's a great question. Yes. It's a great question because when you are doing testing, if if it's not going to change your management of care then it's, it's reasonable to decide that you're not going to continue to test on these things. So I really, really appreciate that she thought of that. Um, she said no, not until the baby was born. So I confirmed that even if we did an ultrasound, it wouldn't change anything. She confirmed yes. Yet the recommendation is still for me to get one. Can you, you know what? I would
0: I would not want to be cross-examined by Becca on the witness stand. <laughs> she is good. She's really good. She's really good. Yeah, she's yeah. Really good. Right. And these
1: are all reasonable questions for someone to ask, right?
0: Um, well, she should, You know, we're in, we're in a position, Bliss, where sh- she shouldn't be having to ask these questions because none of this should ever been told to her because none of this is a problem. Right. And most women don't know enough to ask these questions. Right. And then for the rest of the pregnancy, would be anxious.
1: Yeah. And classified as high risk and all those things. Right. So I told her I would like to wait on scheduling this until I think about it and discuss it with my midwife. She said that was fine. Side note, they had measured my baby's nasal bone length at the same time scan as being in the 99th percentile. When I asked the doctor what that might mean, she quickly brushed it off and said, oh, don't worry, we probably measured it wrong. The irony is
0: thick. Think about that. The kidney measurement is accurate. The nasal bone measurement is wrong. I mean, well, it's
1: accurate, but it's not even at the measurement that would would be actually. But they're admitting that they don't measure things
0: accurately. Uh that and yet and yet for this kidney thing, which is still in the normal range, they're going hog wild for it. Right. right. Exactly.
1: I returned home and I realized the MD never put the exact measurement in my ultrasound report. This seemed intentional, as every other measurement was perfectly listed except for this vaguely generous left renal pelvis. I messaged the doctor and asked her to add the missing measurement to my report. She replied that measurement was 3.9 millimeters, different than what I was previously told and reassured me that it would likely be resolved by my next scan. I did some research and found an article guideline in AJOG.
0: That's the American Journal of OBGYN. It's the gray journal.
1: Okay. When mild urinary tract dilation is noted in the second trimester of pregnancy, a single follow-up ultrasound in the third trimester of pregnancy at approximately 32 weeks gestation is recommended. Their classification for mild is four to less than seven, aka not my baby. (laughs) So by their standard, I should not have a follow-up ultrasound I should not even be having this conversation. That's true. That's true. That's what we just said. Right. Yeah. At my 22 week visit, our midwife agreed. It was nothing to worry about, said it was common for this to happen with baby boys until they are born and, and gravity helps the urine flow. And I, and said, I could skip the ultrasound. She said she was pretty sure it wouldn't risk me out of using their birth center and that she would double check for me. At, 26, at the 26-week visit, I asked the midwife, a different one, just to double check that I could skip the ultrasound and still be okay to use the birth center since I had never heard back from the other one. She expressed to me that it was iffy since they have to follow the perinatologist's recommendations for their pa- patients. So I just want to highlight something kind of on a tangent. This is one of the issues of having a group practice. There are some benefits to having a group practice, especially for the midwives. But this is this highlights one of the issues is that you could have someone who says that they're going to follow up with something and doesn't. That's one part of it. Single midwives can do that. But then you have another midwife that you follow up with who might feel differently about it than the other one who had been reassuring to you. And then as they move forward in care, they're going to have to compromise in some ways so that everybody feels comfortable in being on the team so I just want to say that
0: and I would like to Um, add to that that the line where it says they and then she puts in quotes have to unquote follow the perinatologist recommendations all right this this is also a huge red flag for where the word midwifery is heading which is that you guys are independent practitioners. You are well-trained, you're doing this, but you're not allowed to essentially fart without getting permission first from a perinatologist who has no comprehension of your model of care. Yeah. Right, scary.
1: Yeah. Um, The midwife just got back to me today and she forwarded me the MD's reply. Do you want to read all of that?
0: Oh, you can skip that part. The MD's reply is essentially what we just talked about.
1: Okay um
0: generous left renal pelvis
1: (laughs) as you can see it was basically her copying and pasting the ultrasound report and the midwife added it sounds like you need to do the ultrasound so she's not able to um think outside of
0: that recommendation Right. right because the midwife was not thinking or even understanding as well as becca understood the nonsense about the whole thing. All the midwife was doing was reading the recommendation that says return at 28 weeks to reevaluate left anatomy. That's all it yeah. says. Yeah. And so if they're at the mercy of these perinatologists because they're in a group that's affiliated with this group, which is affiliated with this group and that hospital and that uh, health organization, they cannot think independently.
1: Well, it is hard This is why it's really important to have a good relationship with the person who's doing your scans. I was very lucky to have you. And now I have a beautiful um, provider here, Katie Sharma, who is really doing an amazing job in collaboration. But if you put something on that report and you don't follow those recommendations and there's a bad outcome, you definitely could be held liable. That's why it's great to have a good relationship so that you can talk about it and go back and forth about what the recommendations are that can be agreed upon. And if you don't have that relationship, it is it is
0: difficult. Yeah. It's, it's like Upton Sinclair said, it's hard to get a person to understand something when their salary depends upon them not understanding it.
1: <laughs>
0: and in this particular case, um, of these midwives, I think they're probably employees of this organization or whatever else. And if they decided that this makes no sense to me as a m- practicing midwife and my client doesn't want it. So I'm just going to ignore this recommendation. They could be punished.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's harder for midwives who work inside of the system in the hospital to be able to do those kinds yeah, there's of things. A
0: huge conflict of fiduciary duty. Mm-hmm.
1: I'm frustrated because this isn't a clear answer about whether I'm allowed to use the birth center. If I refuse, though it shouldn't matter per the American journal of, gynecology, um, just, right. yeah. This finding shouldn't affect birth plan methods. This doesn't take into account that I want as the patient and mother of this baby, very true. If I were to get this unwanted third trimester ultrasound, I know that I would be opening myself up to them finding another other normal things to make into problems to possibly use as ammo to influence limit my birth options. I feel more stressed about this ultrasound than the chance of my baby having kidney issues. I have made peace with the possible renal issue though in my heart, I believe it's all going to be fine. I don't want to or need to know more right now, which is you're right. Um, I want to send a spicy message to the doctor, but I know that won't get me anywhere. I'm leaning towards sending a kind message that would possibly appeal to her human side, and explain that I understand the recommendation, appreciate her time, but I would, polite, I would like to politely refuse, skip it, and still use the birth center. In my mind, recommendations aren't necessarily requirements. I'm considering referencing the article, but I'm not sure how that would be received by the MD. I feel stuck. I know an ultrasound isn't a big deal, but I don't like feeling concerned, um, sorry, cornered into this decision. I don't like the logic and aggressiveness of their recommendation, but what other things are they going to recommend between now and my birth? I don't want to use the birth center. Home birth and out-of-hospital birth centers are significantly more expensive than, and this is not really an option right now. It's exhausting to think about this, even more so fighting this. Sorry for the long email. I felt like the details were pertinent, and I'm a little fired up. I know you get lots of stories, and I had to share mine. You two are the best, um, Becca. It was a great letter, and we appreciate all the details.
0: Yeah, I actually wrote her back real briefly, and I said, as the Brits would say, "You're brilliant. Your assessment <laughs> is spot on. There's no logic here. The recommendation is purely cover your ass and monetary. This is a normal mm-hmm. finding, and you should have no and you have show it should have no bearing on your place of birth. Your midwives are mm-hmm. cowed and handcuffed." The system is impersonal and impersonal and automated. I'm sorry for the stress put upon you. Clearly, you have a sense of what you are facing. Might you consider other burly options? That's what I said there.
1: <laughs> yeah, we wish you could. We wish every woman could uh, feel like they had that as an option to them.
0: Yeah, that was a long one, but it, but it was so uh, spot on. Again, with making something out of nothing, and look at the tiz that this woman is in.
1: Yeah, it's unfair. I mean, she's not even enjoying the last little bit of her pregnancy, and that's been robbed of her.
0: Right. And she's afraid, you know, again, because of the system she's in, she says, I'd like to write a spicy letter to the doctor, but I don't think it'll serve any purpose. And she's right. It probably wouldn't serve any purpose.
1: Well, I would say I would probably... I would probably draft, uh, yeah, I would. I would draft a letter and just say, I'm declining this, and these are the reasons why, and right now, um, the midwives are basing your recommendation. I would like for you to write them a letter telling them that it's reasonable for me to decline this. That's what I would do.
0: Yeah, I mean, her loyalty to this birth center is uh, admirable. Well, it's
1: what she can afford, and then other people have had good experiences there, so...
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, this, le- this letter is from Abriana, and she's a doula in Massachusetts, it's very short. And it's this one, this one is rather frightening, actually appropriate for Halloween. Just want to share a story. I've listened to your podcast for a few years. You and bliss inspired me to look deeper into the medical system of birth. I work as a nurse in the emergency department and I'm starting a doula business. Anyways, we saw an eight-day-old with a swollen leg. Turns out he has femur fractures. The x-ray report read, quote, non-accidental injury, unquote. Of course, Child Protective Services were contacted. Later, the OB who completed the C-section on the baby called and reported the C-section was completed for breech presentation and the C-section was traumatic and probably the reason for the fractures. Of course, I don't know the specifics of the labor or birth, so I'm only speculating. It is terrifying to think that a doctor who causes fractures on a newborn is off, free, and thanked for saving the baby's life, but the parents are now going to be subjected to interrogation. Yeah, that seems uh,
1: very unfair.
0: not think that maybe the doctor should have said something to the family if he suspected there was trauma at birth? absolutely maybe they should have gotten an x-ray if they had to get an x-ray to document it eight days earlier yeah because not only did he admit that it was traumatic and he probably broke the bone but in theory most of the time that's okay but but because it'll heal by itself but sometimes it can cause a vascular or nerve injury and that should be something that should be paid attention to not eight days later
1: right right this is awful. Yes.
0: And again, maybe there'll be some peer review in, internally in the hospital, but no one will ever know about it and nothing will ever come of it. But this is this is abhorrent. Shouldn't happen. Okay. This one is reminiscent of a little bit of a, a baby jail story. It's very short also. This is from Sarah. And she says, oh, hi, Dr. Stu. And goddess bliss yay first of all love the podcast as an ldrp nurse isn't it interesting a lot of people that listen to us and a lot of people that write in are nurses emts doulas they're they're like they work in the hospital and they hear what we're saying and they're not saying you guys are way off base you guys are wrong you know they're all they're all all affirming what we're, what we're saying obviously we all know that sometimes MFMs are great, and sometimes hospitals are great. And we, no one ever does. We always have to put this disclaimer on. I don't know why we have to put it on. It should be on for all eternity after today. But and, <laughs> as an LDRP nurse, I have learned so much and have begun asking thought provoking questions to other nurses and providers at work. Just Yay! To get, yeah, just to get them thinking and question the norm and protocol surrounding birth. Love it. The question is about ABO incompatibility and jaundice of the newborn. Today, I had a fourth time mom with blood type O negative who had a baby girl with blood type B positive. Transcutaneous bilirubin was checked at 12 hours of life and was greater than seven. So they drew a total bilirubin, a total serum bilirubin, uh, which was 7.6. Per the hospital protocol, the baby was put under billy lights. And uh, because Oh, because it was greater than six. Their protocol says if it's greater than six at 12 hours, they should be put under billy lights. Okay. So I went to the American Academy of Pediatrics because this is what Dr. Stu does. Yeah. They looked at 12 hours and I looked at low based on gestational age. It doesn't say how many weeks she was, but I just, for the life of me, think it was probably a term baby. Now, again, this whole thing would change if it was a preemie, but There's nothing in there. If it was a preemie, I suspect it would have said something like that. At 12 hours of age, a baby that's 30, say, 38, 39 weeks, the lower limit of normal or the cutoff would be close to nine.
1: I was going to say six seemed really low.
0: Why do you think it's set at six?
1: To err on the side of caution. (laughs) But I mean, how many babies actually fall into that category if it's that low?
0: Right, and when they're when they're if they babies fall into that category, what does the hospital get to do? Charge for that?
1: Yeah. But I mean, what? there's nothing nothing inherently wrong with Billy lights. But, um, you know, you're probably going to be separated from mom and a whole bunch of other things that are going to happen that are associated with that, that are not necessary and not positive.
0: Separated from mom. No skin to skin. Uh, laying by yourself in a little box. Yeah. With Sunglasses on. <laughs> yeah. And uh, And and the family's being charged for that. But the insurance company, yeah. somebody's being charged for that. Okay. Well, let's get, let's go on. It gets worse. Oh, boy. The 24 hour total Billy was drawn and came back at 9.3. Per the 24 hour protocol, Billy lights were recommended because the Billy was greater than eight. So at 24 hours, their cutoff is eight. Well, that's lower than the 12 hour cutoff. But a 24 hour cutoff for, say, a 38 or 39 week baby is about 11 and a half. Mm-hmm. Okay, according to the American Academy of Pediatrics, that paragon of virtue. Okay, the 36-hour Billy Rubin. Now, 36 hours. We're out a day and a half now. Was 8.8, so it was falling. Yeah, nine to eight point eight. Thirty-six hours. The worrisome amount is close to thirteen, and hers was eight point eight. Even though the billy started trending down, the pediatric nurse practitioner refused to discharge mom and baby, insisting baby must stay under the billy lights. She went to a website, by the way, which people can go to called billytool.org. I went there. You can actually just put in the baby's gestational age and the hours post-birth, and it gives you a... And then the Billy Rubin level, and then it tells you yes or no should the baby be under lights. It's very easy to use. The Billy level and other risk factors to determine if, if based on this tool the Billy lights were warranted at all. Based on this tool, they were not. That's correct. They were not. I, I double checked. Would you recommend Billy lights for this baby, or what is your threshold for treatment? What are your thoughts on mom and baby being discharged home and sitting outside in the sunlight, skin to skin? <laughs> Sorry. With so much wisdom.
1: Yeah, so much
0: wisdom. That's right. That you have on this subject, you know, so not only was this all, again, like the other story with the kidney, completely <clears throat> unnecessary, but the policies of the of the institution are setting these numbers purposely low, not to err on the side of caution. I mean, that's what they'll say. And again, it's true because what they're doing is we're making a mistake on the side of caution, but they're doing it and and it's, and it's detrimental to the baby. It's not even, it's not neutral. It's detrimental.
1: Yeah. So that's, her name is Sarah, right?
0: Sarah, correct.
1: Yeah. So Sarah, um, normally if, if a mom had a home birth, we would not be checking that baby's blood type. Or, um, I mean, unless we felt like we needed to, like for an RH babe, I mean, mom. Um, And we would be looking for signs of jaundice. So jaundice within the first 24 hours um, is more concerning, obviously, than than when um, that yellowish color comes up later. And we're looking at the whole baby. So you don't just look at that. You look at how is the baby nursing? How is the baby eliminating? Um, Because if we're seeing an increase in that color, the bilirubin, right, then we want to know that the baby is able to eliminate it. So if the baby is breastfeeding well, if the baby's not lethargic, if the baby's eliminating well, then yes, sunshine can and nursing can be a great remedy. If we're having any of those other problems, and we can tell that it's rising, then we would definitely start to test the numbers and make some decisions about how to care for that baby but the numbers alone are not going to come into play when we're dealing with um, babies outside of the hospital because we're looking at a lot of other things that we can see touch feel and utilize
0: yeah and there's also um, just on the more medical side of things if your baby does need billy lights then in our world, we were lucky because we had portable billy lights, yeah, and we yeah. bring them to your house, and your baby could sit on your chest with the billy pad. It's a pad that that lights up on the baby's back while the baby's laying on your chest. Seems very reasonable to do, but that's not the way hospitals do it. And part of it is protocol, part of it is the long habit of not do, thinking something wrong, and part of it is that I think the revenue generation mm-hmm. is greater as long as that baby's in the NICU there's a huge fee that hospital can charge an insurance company and the insurance company never questions a NICU admission.
1: Nope.
0: You're shaking your head. Don't question
1: a home birth and not pay for it.
0: (laughs) So Bliss, we have a not new sponsor for Fit. (laughs) They've been with us for a while now, so we can't call them new anymore. But they do have some exciting new news as BirthFit has its newest member, as our friend Lindsay ha- had her baby. So, congratulations, Lindsay and family. Yay! Yeah, BirthFit is focused on supporting women throughout the motherhood transition with general strength and conditioning programs for preconception, pregnancy, and the postpartum. Tell us a little bit about their programs.
1: You know what? They cover you for all aspects of feminine care and birth and postpartum. It's really. Amazing. So the BirthFit Basics as a prenatal program is 30 days, no equipment necessary for any trimester of pregnancy. So you could try that out before you jump in further. And then they have a prenatal training program, which is full strength conditioning that requires minimal equipment like dumbbells, bands, and a box. I had a client the other day who was laying in bed like a good client um taking my suggestion she's like you know just laying in bed nursing all day i'm feeling a little sore you know any stretches and i said you should really try this lying in program that they have it's great for postpartum it's 30 days one video a day less than 10 minutes that focuses on reconnecting and honoring your body in the immediate postpartum through breathing exercises visualization and belly massages i mean come on that sounds amazing it is amazing and then yeah. And then they have um, kind of an intermediate birth fit basics, which equi- requires no um, equipment. So that's focuses on foundational breath work and movements to reestablish a solid foundation of core and pelvic floor stability before you go back to any other fitness classes. But they also have a more extensive postpartum program, which is 12 weeks focused on building a base level of general fitness through simple lifts, tempo work and, of course, breath work.
0: Yeah, the birthfit community is where you want to be if you're trying to conceive or know you want to be in the next one to three years. This is a monthly membership program by Women for Women that focuses on general strength and conditioning with respect around one's menstrual cycle. So go to birthfit.com and use the code instincts1, that's the number one, to get a discount on the basics prenatal program, or go to birthfit.com, use the code instincts2 to get a discount on the Basics postpartum program. We love BirthFit. It's OB and midwife approved.
1: Absolutely. And go check out Lindsay. I mean, she looks great. And she did her own fitness program throughout her whole pregnancy and had an amazing birth.
0: So check it out. Let's do, let's, because of time's sake, let's do one more. So we've got Bethany. You're going to read Bethany's letter. And this we just got today, which is kind of fun. Um, What's that? I said, okay. Okay. So I I hope I haven't scared. We haven't scared anybody too much.
1: (laughs) I don't think so, but um, hi, Dr. Stu and beautiful bliss. Thank you so much. That's pretty sweet. Um, I'm writing to you to tell you about my first birth at, and experience with bogus due dates. I know so many people write to you, but I find what's happened to me was appalling, and I think you will too. Sorry if it's long. I was 22 years old and I had graduated nursing school the year before, and I thought I knew a fair amount about birth at this point. Boy, was I wrong.
0: Hey, can I I stop for a second? Yeah. Two things. One is, here's another nursing person, another medical person that is going to tell us about the tyranny of, of her, her own story. But also you get better adjectives than I do.
1: <laughs> you just get to be doctor. <laughs> yeah.
0: I'm always Dr. Stu and you're bliss, bliss beautiful bliss, goddess bliss. <laughs> I love the fact that you get beautiful. Okay.
1: Listeners. Hey followers. Let's <laughs> send some fun ones for Stu. Um, okay. I know the date I got pregnant. Me and my husband were We're not trying for a baby, but I knew we took a risk that day. Sure enough, a few weeks later, I got a positive test. I was seeing the midwife group at my local hospital, the hospital I worked at, and thought they seemed pretty aligned with what I wanted. They gave me a due date of September 13th based off of my LMP. I calculated my due date off of my conception date and I got September 25th. So September 13th to 25th is is quite
0: a discrepancy. It's 12 days, it's almost two weeks.
1: Yeah, those two numbers are very off. But to add, I am a late ovulator. At my 20 week ultrasound, baby was measuring 13 days behind. It had to be 14 days due um, to change a due date. Yeah, because 20 weeks is not really when we change a due date, but. Um, they had me come in every three weeks for growth scans to see if he was tracking, but um, he wasn't at, as he went from 23rd to 13th to the 10th percentile, I'm assuming, right? Or the date.
0: Yep. Percentile.
1: Percentile. Okay. Um, but I told my midwife that I'm not getting any more ultrasounds because my husband's family has really small kids. She trusted me and we didn't schedule anymore. That's great. She listened to you that
0: good for the Um, midwife and good for the idea of taking in individualizing the care and looking at your family history.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Um, Fast forward to my due date, which came and went. I went for I went in for NSTs and everything was looking fine. So they were going to let me they were going to let me go until 42 weeks. Well, 41 and three, I went in for an NST. But this day, no midwives were in the office. They told me my only option was to see the OBE who was in, who I might add, is so old that he doesn't deliver babies anymore. Uh He just does does office visits. He also had early stages of Parkinson's, but I'm painting the picture for you of where his medical brain is from, the dark ages. He came into my room first to check me before I went in to the nst which has never happened before these appointments well he walked in and said i see you're overdue so you can expect that we will probably keep you today i was shocked i said no and if my baby is looking fine i want to give my body a chance to go into labor he said we'll see what the nst says and walked out
0: can i comment
1: (laughs) it's your podcast (laughs) yes
0: You know, this is something that's that's archaic and paternalistic, the idea that you've never met this woman before. And you walk in the room and you're going and you say to her, I see you're overdue, which, by the way, based on her date, she's actually. Thirty nine weeks and a little bit, Mm -hmm. but you can expect that we'll probably keep you today. He doesn't even know her. And he's, he's essentially treating an algorithmic number. Oh, 41 weeks and three. Even if that's not correct, that's a number where we'll just induce you because we would induce all women at 41 weeks and three because we don't give a fuck what your history is or what you think or what you want. Yeah. It's just
1: a conveyor belt at that point.
0: Got that off. Um,
1: I go to the NST and my baby is sleeping. He doesn't want to move, but I wasn't concerned. I had peace. They gave me juice after five minutes, but there wasn't tons of movement at this moment. I had just had him kicking like crazy on the way to the appointment, but of course, that doesn't matter now. They take me back to the room, and the doctor comes back in and says, yep, we're going to induce you tonight. I wanted to know why, and he said my baby had a blip in his heart rate. I protested as I had been walking at the mall that day. I don't know what that has to do with it. Do you?
0: No, I, I don't really know what it is to do with it. But I've 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 looked up blip in the medical uh, dictionary, and it's not really in there. So I don't know. <laughs> okay. what I don't know what blip means either. But okay. But...
1: I requested that I go home and take a shower, and grab my bag, and come back with my husband later that night. He said, and I quote:
0: "Wait, wait. Let me guess. He he gave he played the dead baby card. He played the dead baby card. Did he?"
1: Yeah. I once had a mom ask me to do this, so I told her, fine. She went home to shower and came back, and her baby was dead.
0: He said,
1: if I left, it would be AMA, which is against medical advice, and insurance might not cover it, which is coercion, by
0: the way. And and is not true.
1: Yeah. I was floored. I followed the nurse to the labor and delivery unit, sobbing as I felt bullied into a decision I didn't want. You were bullied. You didn't feel it. You were. That's valid. 28 years, 28 years, <laughs> 28 hours of labor later, plus Pitocin and an epidural, ruining my dream of a natural birth. And my baby was finally here. cord around his neck twice, which everybody told me was a bad thing and that it was a good thing I was induced. My almost two weeks late baby was seven pounds, nine ounces. And I was left with a very traumatized view of birth. Fast forward so, to my second.
0: Oh, so I just want to add that the whole thing about the cord around the neck thing, again, gaslighting her, justifying their intervention based on nothing. Um, self-aggrandizement, making themselves feel like, wow, weren't we great? If, if If you hadn't done this, you know, if you'd gone home and taken a shower, you probably would have had a dead baby. Yeah. Right. I I just, yeah, this is frightening. Yeah. So this is appropriate for Halloween. These stories actually. (laughs) Okay.
1: Yes. (laughs) Um, Fast forward to my second child. I changed my LMP date before I went in for my appointment. So I told them a due date based off my conception instead of my LMP because of my 36 day cycles, which ended up being about a six day difference. I felt bad for lying, but I knew I was right, and I didn't want that experience ever again. I went into labor on my daughter's due date, and she flew out five hours later right on time. Look what happens when you let your body do the dang thing. I'm now pregnant with our third baby, and I hired a home birth midwife. Yay! Very much because of your podcast. I feel so empowered and confident in my decision, and me and my husband are so excited. I just thought you'd appreciate hearing this insane story about when medical intervention comes before a woman's intuition and knowledge about her own body and baby. I know better. Now I educate new moms like crazy, because I never want that to happen to me. What happened to me to any of my friends. Thank you so far for much. All you do. It's so important. I think it's time for me to stop reading because I can't get the words out. anymore. Yeah. You
0: had the, you had the two longest, uh, longest letters. Um, Thank you so
1: much, Bethany, for sharing your story. And I'm so excited for your home birth as well. And what a smart cookie, man, you know, like, yeah, sometimes you have to um, do what's right for you and not what's right for the other people.
0: Yeah. We've got to hope that these stories and even our, our um, webinar, which is coming up on November 9th at 5 PM Pacific. It'll be Pacific standard time by them. I think. Yeah. Clocks will be back. Um, we need first time moms. We need them to consider home birth in the first pregnancy.
1: Yeah. Not
0: waiting till the second or third pregnancy. Yeah. Less birth, you know, um, emotional. Yeah.
1: And C sections, less C sections too. Um, great. Thank you for doing the research and grabbing all these letters so that we could um, do our spooky episode. Um, and I want to let everybody know that the way that you can register for this webinar is to go on to our um, website, which is birthinginstinctspodcast.com. Um, you can register for our webinar. Um, there will be more. So if you can't make it to this one, um, there will be more in the future. But also, everybody, all of our listeners, please go and put your name on our mailing list so that you can get updated about some of the upcoming changes and expansion in community that we're planning to offer you as the year continues.
0: And have a very, very safe Halloween. And when you hear the term air on the side of caution, you will never listen, you'll never hear that term the same way again. You'll understand that whoever's saying it, that you really should call them on it and see what they really mean. So that's it. That's it for us today. Thanks for uh, supporting our sponsors. And we hope that you'll uh, tune in again next week.
1: Thank you so much, Wise Stew. (laughs) Okay, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.